You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now here's your host, Brian Matias, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are, episode 21. We have unvision tumpled, unvision tumpled, our episode output. Considering this is a photography podcast, yet in audio form, mm-hmm. vision, whatever you said, tumpled seems appropriate. Agreed. We will commemorate episode 21. This episode can drink now. Right. It's a stupid joke everyone makes. All right. Go ahead. Tell us what's on today's episode. You got it, Sharky. So two topics, and both of them are coming from Petapixel. First one is um, there was an article called The Overcapturing Epidemic, which uh, is just so clickbaity in just the right ways. But it is a good article, actually. Caleb Kerr is the, the author, and he talks about, as the title would, ex- would uh, imply, overcapturing epidemic. Are we just capturing way too much, you know, like every single moment, Truman Show style? Second topic is kind of breaking. This one is a fresh topic, at least at the time of recording, involving um, a personal friend and just all around great super photographer, Fuji ex-photographer, Eli Cardi, and ha- someone basically ripped components of his image and then canon was italy i think shared the photo how they got the photo you know all these things the story has a lot of legs to it and i'm excited to to get your thoughts and share it with the audience sounds good that's some canon innovation right there <laughs> yeah it really using is. fujifilm images <laughs> it's not the first time they've done that they've done that they've ran into that i think with sony in the past as well i think everybody's done that yeah i mean at, to some degree you have to you have to take out the grain of salt but uh, we'll talk about why uh, how you can avoid that as a, as a manufacturer right absolutely all right take us into the first topic well let me just ask you something sharky it's a kind of a yes or no question do you think that there is an overcapturing epidemic or are we as photographers in the greater population of earth who take photos are we taking too many photos of like every single little thing i don't even think it's just about that it's ever since we entered the digital age and you know everyone says okay photos are free now but it really it's not because eventually your shutter and mirror box etc is going to wear out right but it's a lot cheaper than it was in the film days so because you can literally hold down the button and on a lot of cameras especially if you're shooting jpeg only especially if you're shooting jpeg small which i don't know a single person who does because why would you do that you could rip off hundreds, if not thousands of images in no time. And then the best part is you have to get in the Lightroom or something later and look at all those. So what I said on my show, I don't know, it was like episode 242, something like that. Of the Petapixel Photography Podcast. Of the Petapixel Photography Podcast. That's right. I was waiting for that. <laughs> I'm off my game today. Anyways, we shoot a lot these days. We shoot too much because we can. And so what I said is what I'm going to do in 2018, and I have started doing this now, is I'm going to be shooting a lot less. And part of that is I'm not going to shoot as much sports. Not like I shot a whole lot in 2017 because I was so darn busy. Thank you. No name photo show edition. And uh, you're welcome. I'm bitter. That's why I'm here. No. <laughs> and uh, so there's just when you shoot sports by its nature, you shoot a lot. Back in my photojournalism days, because that guy liked that, which happened nowhere near the Grand Tetons. Thank you. <laughs> now I'm just shoehorning everything in. <laughs> You're just crowbarring it in. <laughs> Thank you. Back when I was a photojournalist, I would shoot an entire game, you know, high school football, let's say, including halftime, and do like 250 to 300 frames tops because I was all dialed in. I, you know, even though I could do eight frames a second on my D700, and to get that, you'd have to have the grip. Otherwise, it was, you know, five frames a second. 
I would know just how much to lay on that button. And it wasn't spray and pray at all. It was literally like maybe at most four frames at a time. Yeah. And so, but speaking from a, as a photojournalist and a sports photographer, I can appreciate photographers in those lines. They need the capabilities or they do seek the capability of, of high frame rate. And just because from millisecond to millisecond, one shot over the other could, you know, make a huge difference. Where this article, just to kind of put some context, the way it starts off is the, the, the author or the, yeah, the author saw this Facebook ad from Samsung for their um, three, Gear 360, which has this 360 degree camera. And the tagline for it is capture more of the moment with Gear 360. And then he talks about how it's just, capturing every moment, capturing every single thing, uh, you know, in, in the context of 360, you're capturing not just the thing in front of you, you're capturing the things above you and the the photographer, uh, him or herself, you're just capturing everything. And what his point is, uh, to quote, it says, my concern lies in the loss of the value of having a story to tell. And we've discussed this in the past as well on the show through one topic or another, but the whole concept, if you want the kind of woo topic of uh, taking a photo versus making a photo and thinking about, you know, taking the time Pretend, like you said, with digital, we don't have the any of the limitations in terms of, or I mean, we have a much higher threshold of photos. We also have absolutely no cost involved with developing photos to see if they're sharp or whatnot. So I get what this guy is saying. You know, I can totally not just sympathize, but I can also empathize where it just seems like every single beautiful moment has become a commodity. It's like the stock photography of life. But then again, I do think that you know, things like 360 and if you want to call it overcapturing, and what I mean by overcapturing is not just what's in front of you, but everything that's around you. I think in the right context, you know, with adventure photography, or I remember once, uh, and this was just a cool experience, but it was, and it, it's not political, don't anyone freak out, but there was, um, Michelle Obama was being interviewed when uh, she was the first lady and whichever news station was doing it, they did a 360 of it. And to me, that was just really awesome to be able to pan around and see the whole production of it, because that's not something you typically get to see. So yeah, that's kind of my take on that. So there's capturing a lot of data when you have a reason to do that like that. Let's say you're in a really interesting environment where someone would want to move around in you know, a VR kind of thing, 360, to be able to see whatever and decide what they're going to look at. And then there's just capturing it all just because. And one of those devices like that Insta360 One that I have, there's, I think it's called Free Capture Software, where you capture everything and then you choose what you want to see. And out of that 4K footage, it'll make a 1080p, also known as full HD video of that. That's kind of cool if you're capturing things properly. I'm not a big 360 guy. You know, it's it's one of those utility kind of things. Same thing with VR. Not super excited about it. But when it comes to photography, bringing it back around to photography with sports and such, you're going to capture more. Just in general, I think capture less if you can. If you're shooting a landscape and you have it in continuous high, you're doing it incorrectly. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Like with my Sony A6000, for instance, I love that camera. Still do. It's capable if you know what you're doing. But no matter how gentle you are on that shutter button, on the shutter release, you're firing off like eight frames. Like you have no choice. It is just let her rip. It's not very specific. Like with my Nikon cameras, etc., you can peel off two or three frames and you know you're going to do that. With that, you're just it's letting it fly. So let me ask you then, what are your thoughts on similar to high frame rate or 360? What are your thoughts on, you know, now we have cameras that are, you can record video really, you know, high bit rate, 4K footage. And, you know, and depending on how much you want to spend, there are cameras that can do 8K. 
What are your thoughts on essentially instead of taking the photo, you know, you record film and at, even at 4K, it, that's more than enough resolution for sharing online. You know, you'll get you still get to edit the photo and stuff. But what are your thoughts on that? And like basically to the audience, you record footage and then you just grab a still frame and that's your photo. You know. People are saying that that's going to be the future of photography, that you're going to be able to. Well, look, the Sony A9, you can shoot like 20 frames a second in special conditions, certain kind of lenses and settings, etc. And that's almost video. 24 frames a second is that cinematic look. You know, that's basically video. Right. Shooting and pulling frames from that. That's okay. That's legitimate. If you want to do that, that might be the future. You might, your camera might always be on. I don't know. You might just turn it on, point it in a direction that just, I just, that doesn't seem practical to me. I don't think people are going to take their cameras out and just aim a device at something and then go, you know what? My Sunday's free. I'm just going to go ahead and scrub through there and find the right photo. If technology can find the right photo, if AI can, and I think it will eventually, we're probably maybe 10 years away from it, finding the perfect frame in video, let's say a video capture, a capture everything kind of mode. That's fine. But is that really photography? Does that make you feel happy as a photographer? You know, if you're, let's say you work for the post office and you hate your job, which is kind of synonymous, right? And so you're looking forward to the weekend to do photography. Are you looking forward to pointing a device at everything and then sitting down all day and and scrubbing through there and finding the right shot? I think you probably want the whole experience. And in that case, you want to peel off maybe a frame or two at a time. But maybe you have the option. Maybe our future cameras are going to give us all the options. Well, let's let's do a devil's advocate type of thing. So I hear what you're saying, but let's let's um, do the kind of journey. We've got the the postal worker on the weekend. And Saturday comes along. And so imagine the postal worker is a photographer or the postal worker is a video, not a videographer, but the postal worker is going to take still photos or the postal worker is going to take video. The, the common things, the postal worker has to scout the location. The postal worker has to get there. The postal worker has to have the, the right gear. And then the postal worker, whether it's a still photo or a video, has to understand the settings and the composition. In a way, I see it as not a, I don't want to say it's, it's, it's a crapshoot or it's all about timing, but in a way it kind of is, you know, if you're taking a still photo, a lot of it does boil down to that decisive moment. And whereas video, you have that kind of buffer of like, just keep going. Uh, of course, video currently, you can't match the resolution of a still photo. So we're, we're not going to go down that road, but in terms of the sheer storytelling value or the, the, the skill involved, I do definitely, I would say that still photography has a lot more nuance to it. I think if you're going to spend all the time to find your location, to pick your settings, etc., you're probably then not at that point, just going to roll tape, you know, and then just pick a frame. I think then you're going to go, okay, I've got this all set up. Click done. Agreed. I think that's probably what's going to happen. But as far as over capturing in general, I think part of it is not only just the ability to do that by laying down on the shutter and people being undisciplined, but then you've got social media, just your average person, your average photographer feels a little bit of pressure, even though they might not really think about it to come up with content and stuff. And so they might over capture in the news business. We call it coverage. You want to make sure if an event is going on, like the example I gave was in June of 2011, the Wallow Fire, the largest wildfire ever in the state of Arizona. The Forest Service took us to a location ahead of the fire. We're like, where's the fire? They're like, don't worry, it's coming. That gave us all chills because that was unnerving. One moment, there's nothing. The next moment, it was like hell on earth. And I saw colors I've never seen before, this disgusting, like orangish brown and stuff. 
you bet I fired off a ton of frames because that was the moment. That was go time right there. That was not going to happen again. They were taking us there and then getting us out of there. Yeah. And so when you have a moment like that, absolutely over capture as a method of having coverage. That's what it's called coverage. But in general, if one or two shots will do, don't shoot 15. Agreed. Don't do that to yourself, especially if you're going to be in Lightroom or whatever later. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we we got that topic covered. Done and dusted. We'll probably talk about it again because it comes up. It's just like, you know, it's photography. Bad habits is what it is. And that's a good way to put it. And it, we we have talked about it. it. It just it comes up in different ways. In this specific way, the author was his bone to pick was with 360 and how it's just kind of like he's not talking about necessarily stills versus video. He's talking about just the 360, which just captures everything in front, above and behind and below you. I think it's healthy also throughout, you know, over the course of of throughout the year to talk about that just as a reminder as a public service announcement absolutely and i'm looking forward to topic number two which you're going to tell us about here in a second because it's funny yeah it's <laughs> this is something else so this article was initially uh this article initially broke by f stoppers uh, and i've got a bone to pick with that uh, i'll talk to you about that in a second but uh, here's what happened the point is that canon italy and spain one shared on their Facebook page and one shared on, on Instagram, this beautiful photo of in Rome of the Vatican with this, uh, you know, water in the foreground, beautiful sunset, golden hour, or the whole shebang. Only problem is that uh, upon further, you know, investigation by some eagle-eyed users, turns out that components of the photo, uh, a decent amount of the photo, like half of the photo was lifted from Elia Cardi's photo. So Elia Cardi is a, just a, fantastic hell of a photographer travels all around the world and he's a fuji x photographer so he shoots fuji and the f this photo that he that he has posted and shared was taken with fuji camera another user took that photo composited elias sky with his foreground basically and we're talking about a pixel for pixel composite and then shared it on the free kind of license free stock site unsplash canon went there now, not Canon USA, we're talking about Canon Europe, and download the photo, and and it, from that point on, you know, Unsplash has absolutely no terms. If you upload your photo, assuming you are the actual copyright owner, which is the kind of the crux of this story, you can download, you can do whatever you want with it. Uh, that's just the whole thing of, of Unsplash. So this is causing a lot of uproar. One, you know, Canon shared a photo <laughs> taken at least halfway by a Fuji camera. Two, why did Canon go to Unsplash when they have... God knows how many ambassadors that probably, you know, would have done a, just as good of a job and their ambassadors. And you know that, the, that. So there's a lot of stuff going on here, Sharky. Not only that, they also have something we like to call money. Exactly. Whatever you call it, liras in Italy. And I don't know, doubloons in Spain. What, what do they use in Spain? Well, Spain uses the euro. True. But Italy doesn't. No, Italy uses the lira, as you said. Anyway, so I agree. So here's the thing. If I were a Canon, well, the thing is, I don't want to even use the Explorer of Lights uh, because I believe that's a U.S. based program. But let's just say that Europe has their own ambassador program. If I were an ambassador, I would I would be pretty kind of like, you know, then again, it's just a social media post. Let's put it in context. These were just social media posts. They weren't they weren't marketing posts. They weren't in any brochures or banners or billboards. And we should say that they looked at the EXIF data on Unsplash and I don't know, I've never used Unsplash. So does it show you the EXIF data? Or do you have to download the photo and then check it? How did they know it was a Canon photo? On Unsplash, if you click below the uh, the image, there's a little link called info and that shows you all of the metadata. And so I'm, I have the, the offending photo up 
and it shows as a Canon EOS 1D Mark IV with a 50 millimeter lens. And it shows all the EXIF. It shows the resolution. It shows the, the aperture and the shutter speed and ISO. It's very possible that this photographer used the Canon 1DS Mark IV, took the photo, and then composited Elias, you know, the top half, the upper half with the sky uh, and the trees onto his. Um, what guy? So you said this guy, what guy? So, okay. I mentioned earlier how I have a bone to pick with F stoppers. So this morning, I saw this story and I immediately thought, great, this is a great story for our show. I knew we were recording later today. And so I remember, I distinctly remember in this story that they mentioned that the source of the photo from Canon was found to come from Unsplash and that Elias said that he did not want to name, he didn't want to essentially out the photographer. But now that I go to the story, to the to the same F-stopper story, there's no mention of it. And so my problem right now with F-stoppers is if you, again, I've talked about this, now I'm getting really upset. You want to have your damn journalist, your press credentials, you want to be seen as a legitimate source, update your articles. Don't remove stuff, or if you do remove stuff, put an update clause, because right now I'm looking through here, I see absolutely no indication. They actually quoted Elia, you know, they mentioned Elias saying that, uh, something about Unsplash, and now it's nowhere in the article, so. But it is updated on Petapixel. Exactly. So we're not going to use F-stoppers anymore. We're saying F-stoppers broke the article. Great. At least with Petapixel, with the same story, there is an update at the bottom that says it has been discovered. And so they basically link to the, the, the photo. And so the, the photographer, his name is Greg Paul Miller. Or is it? Well, I mean, that's that's his name over here. And, you know, I'm looking on his Unsplash page and he's got, you know, he's got a bunch of photos, some portrait stuff, some stuff from like San Francisco, looks like Tuscany. He's got some good stuff. There's nothing available in Tuscany, by the way. No. That's an old Seinfeld reference. Go ahead. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Three guys just laughed. But here's the problem. Going forward with this photographer, I could look at his stuff here and I'm completely dubious of everything he does going forward. I don't know what is his, what he's lifted. And so now for me, this guy's, as far as a career goes, this guy's over for me. I would never trust him. Well, is he, okay, so to have a 1DS Mark whatever, 4, whatever, it's an expensive camera, right? So he's either rich or... He's a pro and he does this. And if he is a pro, why is he compositing images taken from other people? It's one thing if you're compositing your own and you're not a journalist, that's fine. That's fair game. That's art. But when you're taking the work of others and mashing it with yours, doing a little mashup right there, you have stepped over a line. We don't know if this guy's real. We don't know if he's a real photographer. We don't know if he's just doing this to get attention. Who knows? Well, I just clicked on another photo just like within the same amount of time. And that the metadata for that one shows as a a Sony a7R Mark II. So, you know, that's the thing with with any of, especially Unsplash. So Unsplash, the danger there is you can upload anything and you have a check mark that says, uh, you know, I I certify that this is my photo. I own the copyright. But once it's up there, it is done. I mean, it is open for anyone to do anything. So with this, I spoke with Elias. So Elias is a personal friend. I messaged him earlier today and we were chatting about this a bit. And he definitely got a chuckle over how quickly this went viral. He told me that he takes an active stance against infringement. He's got a lot of active cases that he's involved with right now. And, you know, you can imagine someone who's as prolific as him. The guy travels all around the world with his wife year in and year out. They're basically just the, the world is their home. 
And so as such, you would imagine the, the portfolio of photos that he has built and shared online for people to enjoy. So with that, you can also imagine the number of scumbags who go out and will just pilfer through that and make it their own. And, and to me, listen, I am with Eli here. I have a very, very low smoking point with infringement, Sharky. If you knowingly go and take someone else's work and claim it as your own, or if you go and you take someone's work and you use it for commercial purposes without obtaining the proper license, to me, you have very, very little wiggle room in terms of me ever trusting you or just like, you know, you've essentially burned any sort of currency with me. This guy stepped way over the line. And what are the chances he owns a really fancy, expensive Canon camera and a really fancy, expensive Sony camera? So I bet if you checked every photo, he's got Fujifilm in there. He's got every he owns every camera. Yeah. And so, you know, I I do want to say I understand with Canon, that was kind of a uh, they should probably do a mea culpa there. But at the same time, here's what Canon did. Again, they went to Unsplash. They probably did some sort of a search for you, you know, Canon EOS or whatever they did. They find this beautiful photo because if you look at it, in fact, I do enjoy the way the Vatican is lit in the in this guy's photo and Greg Paul Miller's photo. It's, it's lit really nicely, but the rest of Eli's photo, I would say, is much stronger. So they see this photo and they're like, oh, this is cool. And it's unsplash, which means we can do whatever we want with it. So let's just download it and share it on, on social. Um, it is kind of negligent. I would have thought that Canon, th- if I were the marketing person at Canon or any company, you know, there, there should be an asset manager. And God, like you said, Sharky, so much money, so many contacts, so many people who would probably be more than happy to share photos with Canon to use on social with the proper credit. And so why not just build a database of approved, you know, you, and not go to Unsplash? Like, and I'm going to put it out there. Don't get me wrong. I actually really like what Unsplash is trying to do. And almost every cover photo that we use on nonamephotoshow.com comes from Unsplash. And I, even though you don't have to, I always credit the person. If you go into the show notes, you'll see a bullet point for cover photo from so-and-so on Unsplash, because that could translate for the photographer into gigs and stuff, the visibility. They're not making any money off it. So if you're a big camera company, I mean, it just it's just shoddy sloppiness, right, Sharky? It really is. I think what happened is they went to Unsplash, whoever was in charge of their Canon, Espana, it was, I believe, Paige, you know, their Instagram thing. <laughs> What's it? You're laughing. You like Espana. my Espanol? I do. <laughs> Anyhow, they went there. They might not have been specifically looking for an image. I don't know. Maybe they just typed in Canon. Let's see what we have. Okay, that's a great image right there. And when you find a great image and you think it was shot with your company's camera, you just roll with it, I guess. Because what's the option? Like you just don't do it. You go, okay, we probably shouldn't be using Unsplash. No, they're not thinking that at all. They're thinking this is a source of great imagery right here. I like it. It's awesome. Let's use it. Yeah, and what's what's kind of even worse in a way? So I'm I'm looking on uh, F Stoppers, the article F Stoppers has, and they have a screenshot of the Canon Italia page on Facebook, and they didn't even like credit. So there's a little like two sentence post, and you know you would think even just throw the dog a bone with Canon, like photo by so and so with a link, like but no, they didn't even do that. And and you know Unsplash, one of the things that it does do is when you click on download, a little interstitial, a little pop up comes up and it says, hey, you know you don't have to, but give thanks to so and so, and it provides you with the link, all this stuff. So throw the Pedro a bone. I don't know. El Bono. Oh, shark. Who knows? I don't know. I, you know, okay. as bad as that dad joke was, you totally missed earlier. I know the audience is like, why didn't he mention it? When I said this guy, as in because you were talking about this sky, the sky. And I said this oh. guy, I've done that joke before, but you totally whoosh, 
right over your bald head. That one <laughs> went way. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's like the the um, aerodynamics of my head makes it very easy for those awful jokes to just kind of like undetected. Clearly. All right. So did we beat this to death? It's like Canon and other brands. Perhaps you want to do a little better job. Like maybe don't use Unsplash and these other sites. Go to your Explorers of Light, your ambassadors, whatever. From there, contact people who are using the Canon hashtags. Actually contact them. Get a human on the other side. Find out for sure if they did use your cameras because it's going to come out. It's the internets. Somehow I'm impressed that somebody even noticed that something was changed in that image. They actually noticed it. That's amazing to me that someone actually was like, hey, that's not right. I've seen that bottom half of the photo somewhere. Unbelievable. That's what, you know, pixel peepers. What can you do? Hey, I mean, but it, it, it's good. And uh, I'm, I stand again with a lie on this one. Don't steal my work. You want to use my work, go through the proper channels. And so that's basically it to put a bow on it. Especially stealing from the Vatican, a photo of the Vatican. Come on. And again, I, I do, I want to call it F-stoppers again, because I'm telling you, I, I'm going to go to the, I wonder if I go to the Wayback Machine, which is like archive.org. For those of you that don't know, don't know archive.org is referred to as the Wayback Machine. And it essentially has, it gives you the ability to search a website, a URL, and it'll show you the years and years of cataloged versions of the site. So you can go back and, and see older versions. I don't know how often it is, but I'm going to see if I can find the older version of this article because it really bothers me that they didn't update it or in a link to say that they removed the Unsplash mention and that Elias, you know, said he didn't want to name the person. Well, sometimes you can find the old version in Google as well, but. All right. So, Brian, I think we beat this to death. What is on your gear shelf? So I did have this one thing that I was excited about to share, but I'm going to save it for episode 22 because Nicole was like, well, because I just got this item today and I got it based on some uh, reviews I've read and just looks really awesome. I'm not going to even talk about it, but I haven't had an opportunity to use them yet. So I'm going tomorrow to uh, the Canadian Rockies to Abraham Lake. And when I get back, I'll be able to give you a more thorough recommendation. But I do have something here that I got uh, last week that I've been using. I'm going to take with me. And it is by Western Digital or WD. And it's called the My Passport Wireless Pro. And this is the four terabyte version. Now, WD sent this to me. Um, I didn't pay for it. It's several hundred bucks. But the thing that I love about this, this one is a spinning hard drive inside here. And it has a little SD card slot. So the reason why I like this is because if I'm, I'm going again on the shoot uh, tomorrow, for backup purposes, one of the things I can do is just pop the SD card and it just starts taking everything on the SD card and it backs it up to the hard drives. And again, four terabytes is plenty of space. But what's also awesome is that it has a built-in wireless radio. So I can connect my iPhone, my iPad, or my computer to this, mount it as a volume. I could uh, look at the photos. I can download photos, including RAW files. I've already tested this. I can take raw files. I can import them into Lightroom on iOS or macOS. But also, if I have, I can put videos. If I have any videos downloaded, I can store them on here. And then instead of wasting space on the device, I can just play it wirelessly off of this. So um, I think it's cool. And, and the other reason why I'm bringing this up is because just uh, the other day at CES, WD announced the second version of this. So it's more rugged. And even more importantly is that it's an SSD. Instead of a spinning hard drive, it's an SSD. And so I'm very excited. I think they're going to be sending me one at the end of the month. And I can't wait to try that out. You might have to gaffer tape that to your stomach or something. Keep it warm because who knows how those platters and everything else is going to survive in the Rockies. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be that'll be a test. Does it come in a case? Does a case come with that? It has to. It right? doesn't come with it, but there is an. They did send me this optional case, which has a lot of substantial padding and stuff. But I'm not going to take the hard drive with me on the shoots. I'll leave this hard drive 
in the hotel or whatever we're staying at the apartment. Okay, so you're not going to ingest out in the field. You've got a, plenty of cards. Do you have another backup solution with you or like a little miniature hard drive that you're going to pop those in? Yep. We talked about those before. Epson used to have one. Oh, that thing was horrible. Oh, with a big screen. That's right. Yeah, that was awful. Uh, this is essentially the same thing, just they eliminated the screen. If they figure you have your phone or your tablet, that'll be your screen. But no, I do. Have, I always take with me my... Um, I have these G technology because this is a landscape shoot. I take the G technology SSD. I believe I've used this as a pick before in my gear shelf, an ATC case, which is waterproof and dustproof. Absolutely. And if we didn't mention it just now, you are a G tech ambassador. So I am a G technology G team member, which is their ambassador program. And HGST is the parent company that owns Western digital SanDisk and G technology. So that's why I got this Western digital is because it's from the same umbrella. HGST LMNOP. That's right. All right, we're going through all the letters today. This episode is brought to you by the letter E. That was a, come on, that was a uh, a Sesame Street reference right there. Ah, ah, ah. I'm hilarious. All right, so awesome gear pick. That's cool. My, what's on, wait, what, Brian? Hey, Sharky, what's on your gear shelf? Thank you. Now it's official. What's on, you're going to love this. You may have this. If you don't, you need to. Okay. It's called Black Cinefoil or Photofoil. Roscoe makes it, you know, they make filters, etc. Have you Uh heard of it before? You use it? Do you have it? No, I've heard of I've heard of Roscoe. I used to get those little they had those little sheets. The little sample pack that uh, Dave Hobby from strobus.com told everybody about. And then Roscoe, they used to give them free. They used to have big bins at like Tempe Camera and other camera stores. You used to go in there and have all the free little. uh, So that's a bonus tip right there. It would fit suspiciously on your uh, on your flash unless you had like maybe like an SB 900, which a giant head on that. And uh, as soon as David Hobby told everybody, go get those. Roscoe was like, wait a second, we should sell these. So true. That's that is exactly I remember from David seeing that. I was like, oh, man. And I think it was like a quarter at the time just for like shipping or something. But it was great because all you had to do is use like a rubber band or something. And if you had a gel, you had like a bunch of different color gels. Exactly. You could. It was great. You had you had CTO, the whole range, color temperature, orange, color temperature, blue, CTB, everything. So there's your bonus pick. I was going to use that for a future pick. But anyhow, Roscoe Photofoil, it's $18.73 currently on Amazon. It's expensive, but you're going to have it for a long time. It comes, it's 12 inches, so a foot by 10 feet long, a roll. Now, you're not going to bring a roll of this with you, but what you're going to do is you're going to take like maybe like a two foot, three foot section or so, fold it up. It's like aluminum foil, but it's thicker and it's black. Fold it up, put it in your camera bag keep it in your car, whatever. It's sturdy enough that you could mold it around something and keep something together. You might be able to get a flash. You know, something breaks, you could use it to fix it if you don't have uh, gaffer tape with you, which you should. But this is used to flag light from coming into your lens. It's used, there's a number of, you know, subtractive lighting. There's a million and one uses for photofoil or cinefoil, as it's called in the, you know, in the motion picture and TV business. You want to get this. Just pull the trigger on it. It's under 20 bucks. You'll have it for years. Like I said, fold it up, keep it with you. When you're doing your shoots, you want to bring it with you. You can make a snoot out of it. There's just so much that you can do with this. So it's just it's just like a a thick foil, like a like a sheet of foil that's black. That's it. Like then you can use it, like you said, as a as a flag or a snoot. I, I guess what else can you do with it? 
I don't know, you can make yourself a nice fancy hat. I don't know. Think about what you could use some fairly stiff, not even fairly stiff, very stiff, essentially aluminum foil that's all blacked out. I mean, it's really thick stuff. I've got some. I tried to find it in my closet. It's a mess right now in my gear closet. It's it's actually on my gear shelf. I just can't see that particular shelf, let's say. Let's go with that. Suspend disbelief. All right. So it's primarily, but in more of a, I guess, clinical sense, it's used primarily to control light. Absolutely. That's it. And, and here's the thing, too, is also it's not going to, don't hold me to this, but it's designed to not catch fire. So in the TV and whatever business, you know, and a lot of people now are using LED lights, but there's still those really hot lights. And you might have hot lights still, constant lights in your photography business or just your, you know, you shooting portraiture, et cetera. And if you want to shape something, you need to flag something off and something else that you might use might catch fire. You want to use this instead. So just think of what you could do to flag the light off or mold this around something in a pinch. It's like having gaffer tape, but a lot more sturdier and a billion uses. I mean, you could have like a two, three foot section and it'll literally like a flag. It'll just wrap it around something on one side and it'll just go out to the right or left or whatever and flag off that light. There's a billion uses for this stuff. Cool. I just talked for like five minutes about black aluminum foil. That's how awesome it is. Listen, I've received, you know, word from people. They they enjoy the series because in a lot of the cases, in some cases, we, we talk about a lens or a camera, which can be pretty pricey. But I think we do a pretty good job of finding more of uh, off the beaten path accessories that photographers should consider. And it's not just also photo gear, but slightly tech gear that can apply to photographers. So anyway, Sharky, that's a good pick. Uh, I actually enjoy that a lot, too. You know, these little things, like I said, $20 here and there, maybe like 50 bucks or so over the course of your career or your journey as a photographer, you'll pick up these little tips, hopefully here on the show or wherever. And you have that in your gear bag. You have that in your in your knowledge bank and your noggin there. And you will eventually use this stuff. All right. So we're done with that. Those were some good picks. Brian, I think this was a good episode, if I say so myself. What do you say? I say it's a great episode. Awesome. You want to tell people where they can find you, where they can find our site, etc. Sure. So first off, yep, the show notes for this episode can be found on nonamephotoshow.com. And for me on social, I am pretty much at Brian Matias, B-R-I-A-N-M-A-T-I-A-S-H on every social network. And my website is just my last name, Matias.com, M-A-T-I-A-S-H. Sharky, how about you? Awesome. You can find me at Lens Shark, two S's in the middle there, on the Twitters, on the Instagram, and the Facebook, etc. As we old people say, the Petapixel Photography Podcast. You want to check out, of course, petapixel.com slash podcast. Just type in Petapixel, P-E-T-A-P-I-X-E-L in your podcatcher, whatever you're listening to this in now. Go ahead and subscribe to my show. Subscribe to this show if you haven't yet. Episode 250 is coming up in my show. I'm giving away a camera, giving away a lot of fun stuff, so make sure you don't miss out on that. And um, what do you say we clap it out? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Ready? One, two. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> Love you, brother. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photo Show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. How about we do this again in the next episode? Yeah, let's do that. Thank you.